Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for a special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today we are going to be rounding up our Patreon reviews of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 3 through 5, also known as Legacy Numbers 804 through 806. The end of the first story and the Nick Spencer run of the book. We originally recorded these conversations back when the issues were first released for our Patreon audience. Yeah, so remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show, do all of our research, and record shows like these. If you enjoy this show, this very show you're listening to, and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content like these very reviews when they were originally released, or additional episodes that we never release publicly... Go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Yeah, Dan, and why don't we give a very special thank you to all of our new Patreons this episode, including Matthew Kyle, Connor Riley, Diego Rivera, Ian Patrick, and Chris Stokes. But all that said, let's get to the action, and we hope you enjoy this review from Patreon of Amazing Spider-Man number three, and that is Legacy 804. I'm getting the hang of this, Mark. You're, you're, you're going to get it one day without even looking, I promise. What's So, of course, we're talking today about Amazing Spider-Man number three, Legacy Numbering 804, with uh, written by uh, Nick Spencer and illustrated by Ryan Otley with inks from Cliff Rathburn and colors from Laura Martin. The, I get, think it's the level of production quality that we've been expecting from the past few issues, which is, I would say, overall quite high, regardless of how we feel about story elements or individual moments this book is a refined product i have actually haven't even talked to you about issue three yet i have no idea what you're thinking about it do you want to start off and give me a clue as to what your thoughts are yeah dan in terms of the big picture review it's it's interesting because you asked me what do i think of it you don't know and 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 there's a part of me that doesn't know myself and by that i mean like there's a lot about this 
from a broad idea standpoint that I'm kind of, I'm really into and and I really want to see where it goes but we're also so early in it and like kind of just if I was just to kind of read this issue in a vacuum I don't know if it really lit my world on fire if that makes sense like it's like yeah there are interesting things that that do pique my curiosity but it, it, it's so funny like that first issue was just I felt like Spencer and Otley, more so with the script, they were just putting it all out there. You know what I mean? Like really yeah. just kind of like laying their cards on the table and and this is what this run's going to be. And then I feel like the last two issues have kind of, I don't know, they've been playing footsie with this stuff. And and I want to see them start really diving in again, you know? And, and it's 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 been kind of like, you know, a little, little too cautious and, and, and not going all, you know, not going all the way with some stuff. So, um, you know, I'm still invested because these are some interesting ideas, but I, I'm starting to get ever so slightly impatient with when we're going to start really pushing stuff again, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess for me, the big thing is like it, it kind of takes all the way to the end of this issue to really discover what the conflict of this story is. I mean, there's some been a lot of minor skirmishes, and, and including this issue, I guess I don't know if it's minor, but I, I would say in 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 a narrative sense, this fight with the Tri Sentinel is quite minor and seemingly not irrelevant. But it, it, I wouldn't call it like he's a villain that I'm really thinking much about. And the conflict really appears in the last page of this issue, and so far I feel like we're in the first act with a lot of exposition and. I'm like you, I'm like, there's a lot of checkoff guns, I want to see one of them fire, and I feel like maybe this final page is that gun firing, and issue right. four will be, you know, us actually dealing with the conflict, but, like, so far, like, there's a lot of stuff that just disappeared from the first issue, a lot of stuff that isn't really being addressed, we can talk specifically about the Mary Jane stuff in a moment, and, you know, we're focusing on this other thing that I'm really interested in, but we're not diving into it immediately, so I'm yeah, I'm like you, I'm a little impatient. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we why don't we start breaking stuff down a little more? Uh, I mean, the, the comic starts off again with this teaser that we got in uh, issue two, uh, which is this like elephant hunt. I mean, again, all the all the pieces of the puzzle seem to be fitting together for this being a Craven subplot, but I guess. There's always a possibility that this is some misdirection. I mean, you've read more Nick Spencer that's not Spider-Man than I have. I mean, is he known for really baiting and switching or, or what? I don't really know about that. I've, I've never seen this particular motif used before. There was a thing in, in the, you know, like uh, Captain America stories where we saw this kind of dreamscape Captain America thing where people had a lot of speculation and we get a page or two of it every issue, but... It's funny because it reminds me of like the kind of like cliffhangers that Dan Slott would use at the end of his books, where we would get like a check-in on some, you know, bad guy that's coming down the pike. And this, to me, it, it doesn't really tease a villain directly in any way that ties in with our main story. It seems like a whole other thing, so it's like a thematic statement. But then I don't even think it really necessarily works that well in that regard. Like I don't find myself thinking back to this opening and how it like foreshadowed what we saw in the story to follow. And there's no like lingering narrative. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it takes this one page as a separate perspective from the rest of the issue. And right. the ideas of it are not really pushed through in narrative 
sense throughout the rest of the issue. So I don't think it really works that well in either way. But I'm glad it wasn't just a one-off in issue two. Like, at least we're going to keep doing this. And it wasn't just some random thing. Right. Although, I mean, again, like, not to suggest in, that we should be speculating wildly, but, I mean, it's not like Craven is a mysterious character. And it's kind of like, if this is truly Craven, then why aren't we just seeing Craven? You know what I mean? Why aren't yeah. we just kind of getting the sense of, oh, well, Craven's back for certain. So that leaves something to be desired. But like you said, it, it, it's it's – it's so disconnected from the rest of the issue or the past two issues that you are kind of wondering where are we going with this. And, and in one breath, like you said, I'm happy to see them coming back to it. But we, if we're going to keep coming back to this. It's got to be more than just one pay, one disconnected page. You know, then we got, we got to start tying this in somehow, whether it's, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not the writer, but, you know, like, let's 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 move on this a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm not asking for it to be resolved, but like, let's move it forward. Right, and I think some people, like, were trying to do, like, backflips during issue two to kind of find a way to tie it in by suggesting, like, oh, it's Chameleon at the end of the issue, right? It's going to be connected to, you know, the Kravenoffs in some way, you know? And I think it's very clear now that, like, what we're reading in the issue is not related to Craven in any way, unless there's some even further misdirect I'm not I'm not following. But, like, for, for me to really, wa- I want to have some kind of tantalizing thing here to make me want to be curious about it. And right now it just feels random. Yeah. So then we, 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 we segue from that into this bowling scene, um, which again, like some of it, like, so I kind of liked the fun of it, seeing Peter out and being social. And of course, like the, the full context of this doesn't actually really click until you get to the end of this comic and understand what's going on. You know what I mean? But, right. but you know, again, like reading it in the moment before knowing the punchline, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is fun, but it also seems really weirdly out of character and like there's just stuff that's just not really being explained about where Peter and MJ are at. I mean, it's like they're making out like they are teenagers hanging out for the first time and like that's never been their shtick. I mean, even when they were being written poorly together way, way back in the day, I don't feel they were just like sitting there making out with each other all day. That was not their thing. Or am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, they were flirty and stuff, and maybe if it was written in a more modern context, there would have been like, like I can't. There's no part of me that where Stan Lee writes the word "make out" on a page. <laughs> right, but well, I mean that's true. But I just also mean like in terms of like, like they were never. I, I, I mean, outside of the the infamous airport kiss scene from. Um, Jerry Conway and Ross Andrew back in back in the day, I never truly got the sense that they were a big public display of affection people, even, you know, whether you want to call it making out or holding hands. You know what I mean? Like it, it just was never even when they were first married in the in the early or in the late 80s, I, I never got the sense that they were just constantly fawning all over each other. I mean, there's that great scene in issue 300 where. She, uh, what, she, like, undoes her top or something like that? I mean, it's, like, the most sexually suggestive Spider-Man ever gets, right? Right. But I, I think beyond even just the kind of, like, the way that they're showing their affection, it's that, like, I still don't really know who Mary Jane is as a character in these moments. To me, it's, like, this is the worst, like, aspect of how Mary Jane was portrayed, like, the kind of, like, supermodel girlfriend that Peter's head over heels for. Like, that's why people wanted to get rid of this character from the comic. I still, you know, it makes it makes me skeptical about it actually being a thing because 
Mary Jane has still not really been given a voice in the pages of this comic yet, and whether that's her expressing, you know, why she decided to get back with Peter again, or, you know, but she also doesn't seem the kind of, like, sassy Mary Jane type, you know, or someone who's challenging Peter. He just She just seems like a superhero girlfriend, and I, to me, that's a kind of... It's a disappointing thing when a char- this character is written so richly in the past. Like, I, this is not what I want back. You right. know, like, I, I want the well-written Mary Jane back. And it makes me think Nick Spencer is capable of writing that. And if he's not, I, I imagine maybe it's because this is not really what it seems to be. Well, maybe it's our deal as readers of Mephisto. For those who've been haranguing Marvel about bringing them back, well, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, this is not what I want to read from this relationship. And, right. you know, maybe it's coming down the pike, but, like, I have to think that he, because he spent so much time on it in the first issue and then hasn't addressed it since, either he doesn't see that's a problem or he's holding it back for a reason, which makes me skeptical. Gotcha. One thing that I don't think we're both skeptical about is the return of a long lost character. That's uh, Nora Winters, which I I took as a pleasant surprise. I was like, oh yeah, her. I liked her. She was fun. <laughs> For me, Nora is like what I want Mary Jane to be. Like I've actually been long been a shipper of the Peter Nora relationship back when they were flirty during the Brand New Day era. I just think. Just like Mary Jane, when she first appeared on the scene, Nora is like a, a breath of fresh air in the uh, Spider-Man supporting cast gallery. Like, sh- she's just kind of like her own unique person. And I uh, I think there's a little bit of, like, character assassination regarding her and the whole way the things shook up with her and Phil Urich. But, like, I still really dig her as a character. Yeah. And, of course, like, you know, they immediately start to explore the... The tension between her and uh, Randy Robertson, since the two of them dated and then inevitably broke up because of uh, because of Phil Urich and the Hobgoblin uh, back in the dance slot run. But I, I, I liked I liked the icy tension between the two. Like it was funny. Like I I, I found it like realistically funny. Uh, like I, yeah. I I could see that happening with two friends of mine. <laughs> I love the idea that Nora brings her own bowling ball to to this event. That's like. Very her. She like that. He already seems to have a real grasp on Nora, which I think really makes the MJ stuff stand out. It's like, uh, who is MJ? Like, I, I want to know what's going on with this character. Um, but I, like you know, like you were saying, overall, I think I love seeing scenes like this. Like, it's been a long time since we've got a Peter hanging out with his friends scene of substance. Like, I can really think like. Back to, like, maybe roller derby back during, like, the beginning of big time, you know? Like, uh, just seeing them going out and doing something like a casual sport or something is wonderful. Um, I just want more clarity on who MJ is. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so like you said, like like we said at the beginning, some good, some bad. Then the next thing uh, we have, we got got the Tri-Sentinel in this comic. I guess the long return. Um, (laughs) Yeah. From the David Michelinie story of the Cosmic Spider-Man saga, is that is that the last time we had Tri-Sentinel in a Spider-Man book, or has it been more recent than that? That's the last I can remember. Now, on one one hand, it's I mean it's kind of a minor thing to be repeating the beats of, but this was an instance where I actually really enjoyed um, Ryan Otley's artwork. Like I thought some of the splashes and the spreads with Spider-Man fighting the Tri-Sentinel 
uh, were really, really awesome. I, for lack of a better word, I know that's not an artistically critical word, um, but I, I just like really dug those pages and and the and the dynamic nature of them and this kind of this you know this huge monster and Spider-Man swinging into it. But I don't know if there's much excitement to that beyond that. This is, to your point about the artwork, this is the first issue where I really kind of embraced Otley independent of Invincible. Um, like, I could see him as a Spider-Man artist and forget Invincible in the back of my mind for a brief moment, although there are a lot of call-outs to Invincible in, in this book that are really uh, niche. I follow this the Invincible podcast, and those guys are reading Spider-Man, and they are really nuts about Invincible, and they really pointed out a bunch of um, really niche finds there. But, I mean, we even get a call-out to Invincible on the first page of this comic where he says, you know, I was flying high in the sky, Invincible. So we're still getting, you know, written things. But, um, yeah, to your point, I feel like his Spider-Man has really taken on a life of its own as Spider-Man, and the posings in this book during the Tri-Sentinel stuff was fabulous. Though I'm still not totally on board with the way his depiction of women are, are in this book. There's a couple of close-ups where they are kind of relegated to big pouty lips and and kind of like distorted faces that didn't really do it for me. Still making ElfQuest jokes? Or, uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll leave that for Alan to make those jokes. But, okay. uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So, but, I mean, overall, I, I, I agree, I think. You know, his art is still a thrill. You know, it's it's really, I think, unique in the pages of Spider-Man in regards to its kind of, like, um, very solidly, like, I wouldn't say cartoony, but it's definitely, like, in more of a, like, abstracted style than we've seen in a bit. I mean, I guess between him and Stegman, maybe, it it's gets the most kind of, like, abstract. Right. And, of course, it was this scene where we, I think, if people who are paying close attention to how Spider-Man was being written, where we finally kind of got a sense of maybe something was up, and I think the the true nature of what was going on in this comic starts to come to light, right? Yeah, I kind of immediately jumped on this when I was reading it, because he's so quippy, like, it's so over-the-top quippy, that I was, you know, it kind of, like, it didn't wrinkle me, because it seemed right, but I was like, there's a reason Nick Spencer is doing this, and... You know, I had already theorized my thoughts about what was happening at the end of issue two, and reading this really kind of, like, confirmed it for me. He's making Spider-Man, like, like the ultimate version of the character. And I don't mean, like, ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, like, right. it's, like, uber Spider-Man. Right. Um, he's, he's the comic series it. where he drives a car. He's all id Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very much that personality at the forefront here. And I, so, like, for me, it was like, okay, may, maybe that is what's going on. And then you turn the page, and it's like, oh, well, there's Peter Parker and Spider-Man together, and case closed. Like, that's exactly uh, what is happening. Right. But it was an interesting twist, this this whole, like, split, you know, the, the splitting of the personalities here, which, I, I mean, I know you more or less kind of theorized last time out, but... It still kind of manifested itself slightly differently than how you initially predicted. You know what I mean? Like, a, like it, it, it. I don't know. It seems a little, a little less. Um, I don't know. Like your 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 initial theory came across. I feel a little too sci-fi for what I would have necessarily have embraced in a Spider-Man comic, where this seemed a little 
I don't know, more casual in nature, but still, like, it kind of gets to the core of so much of what we've heard about with Spider-Man before in terms of power and responsibility that, like, it's it's a, re- like, it's a really interesting idea, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think my approach is a little more thematically um, attuned to, like, what would it be like for Peter to not have to worry about being Spider-Man? And they kind of address that for, like, a page of this issue, where right. you get that great montage of Spider-Man kind of saving people around town and Peter being like, I can live my own life. And I figured they would just be split. Like, Peter would keep his intellect and, and you know, all that stuff. And basically they would just get to split duties. But that's not – seems very quickly like that's not where Nick Spencer is interested. He's more interested in kind of like morality and where that lands. And to right. me – there's a couple of thoughts I have about that, but I think it's actually – I'm glad it swerved in a way I didn't expect because I – for one, I think it suggests that this is going to be shorter than the other thing would have suggested. Like really exploring these two guys living different lives, like to me, suggests like a superior Spider-Man-esque story where we're really diving into what that means. But with this kind of morality thing, it seems to me like, oh, this will be like one story arc. Yeah, but it's a, but again, it's an interesting idea of like what what exactly are you left with when you take away this essential part of the other? I mean, this is this is some pretty heavy stuff for a Spider-Man book. You know what I mean? Like like we don't we don't we don't get this a lot. I mean, you know, we talk about we've had more general moral conflicts like what you know, what happens if Spider-Man if Peter abdicates his responsibility even if he's got like a good out clause? But this is this is a little deeper than that in my opinion, right? I mean it's it's kind of like you said, it's a swerve on that. Well it's interesting and if we ever get to sit down with like Slot or Spencer, um, I'd love to ask them about this because it seems like their biggest kind of tentpole stories, and we haven't seen much from Spencer yet, seem to be all kind of like existential threats to Spider-Man instead of like here's a big bad that's coming for them. You know, with Dan Slott we got, you know, what if everybody is has spider powers? And then we got, you know, what if Dr. Octopus got Spider-Man's morals injected into him or whatever? And what yeah. if there were others, you know, like what if Peter joined other Spider-Man and what if Peter, uh, you know, had all the money in the world? You know what I mean? Like we're getting a lot of existential questions about spider-man and already in nick spencer's run we're already getting into another one which is like what if peter didn't have to you know have his life be interrupted by spider-man you know and and then the final wrinkle that this story throws into it and i guess i you know i would be curious to ask them about you know are the new threats that spider-man faces in this kind of like more enlightened comic reading era like more existential than kind of villain threats I mean, I'm happy with it. I think it's a great way to put the character under the microscope. Yeah, no doubt. I also wanted to talk about this flashback scene because I think it's kind of interesting. You know, uh, we talked earlier about that Spider-Man personality being a bit more jocular and and talky. But there's like another aspect of that character that I think we've talked about in the past, which is his kind of um, lack of planning and, and, and... you know, typical decision to to jump into things before he really has thought it through. And that really takes the kind of, like, they end the conversation because he's like, you know what, uh, you know, if only we had someone to test this, bye, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that was really funny. And, and, and showcases a real understanding of, like, Spider-Man's, you know, like, downfall in some way. 
Yeah, downfall, but also again, like like how much of that is exacerbated more by the fact that what's intrinsically Peter has been removed from Spider Man. You know what I mean? Like like would 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 Pete would Peter if the if the two personalities were combined would would Peter cause a more even I mean as as impetuous as Spider Man can be would just having that side of him make him hesitate just a one one other second you know what I mean does that make sense to you Yeah absolutely uh, so then we go to this like Doctor Connors scene with the mice which kind of is just like a I guess a kind of elegant way to lay out exactly what we're dealing with here. And right. we get the reveal that Peter got zapped by the isotopic genome splitter, whatever we want to call this thing, from <laughs> Amazing Fantasy 15. I, I'm guessing it just didn't happen on the page. Like, we didn't see him get zapped by this thing. And he does make point to spell out that he doesn't know if it was the laser or the chemicals that did it. Do you think there's a reason that he's kind of, like, equivocating on that? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming – no, I don't know. I, I can't speculate. So one of my theories about this book was that ultimately we'd find out that the spider was split from the man, right? And everybody right. would retain the best elements of their own character. And you know, as kind of spelled out by Dr. Connors, like this thing would split the lizard from the man. But it right. doesn't seem to be quite – so balanced that way like there it's a very strong implication that peter did not retain his smarts and spider-man did right um whereas peter maintained the morality and responsibility but spider-man didn't um and so you've got this powerful smart spider-man and this kind of weak not as intellectual peter parker i have a couple thoughts about this first i want to get your reaction to this Is, is this what do you think about this as the kind of development of the plot going forward? It's hard to say because, like you said, it's it it doesn't make total sense on the surface. Like, I, I mean, you know, I still I still kind of squelch at the idea. Like, I know at one point last episode you were suggesting, like, oh, maybe maybe under the mask, Spider Man is is part spider, which still might be true. I guess I right. Don't know. We never see it. We just see him making like a tongue gesture towards Peter. Right. It, it, it is odd to me, though, because, like, it, 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 again, you, you would think that Spider-Man would, would just would just kind of be the big dumb hero, and, and that's not what we're getting here. I mean, it, it not for nothing, it kind of makes Peter less interesting to me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and Peter's always kind of been the draw, right? I mean, that's, that's what makes, to me, what has made Spider-Man so unique is who Peter is, and this Peter is a little less interesting. That's interesting that you say that. Uh, I mean, I'll admit I've never been a big fan of Peter being this incredible intellect on the, like, likes that we saw during, like, say, like, big time in Parker Industries where he's, like, Mr. Fantastic levels of intelligent. Like, I always thought he was clever and interested in science and that's why he created the web shooters and stuff like that. And every once in a while, he works really hard and comes up with something really clever and cool. And it's funny to me because I don't think the book is actually saying this. But by giving Spider-Man the intellect, it, in a way, kind of suggests that like Peter got his smarts by being bitten by a radioactive spider. It, right. Which it, we know is not true. Right. 
So, like, it, it's interesting. I'll be, I'll be curious to see ultimately how, like, the attributes of these characters are divvied up um, between the two of them. Maybe we've kind of already seen it. It does set up an interesting conflict, which is, like, if Peter has to do the job of recombining, you know, how do you stop a guy that's smarter than you, more powerful than you, and has no moral scruples, apparently? Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. Um, it's a little less thematically resonant, resonant in regards to, like, what's the difference between Peter and Sp- is Peter Spider-Man and Peter Parker personas? But it does have that interesting kind of morality wrinkle to it yeah definitely maybe you can say something about this well no i don't know what else to say beyond like again i I, we just have to see where this is going dan i mean it it, it, it's it's still okay i mean okay now now we have this much established where do we go from here um and what are we ultimately trying to say about peter what are we ultimately trying to say about spider-man and like you i don't think this can be strung along for too long so i'll be curious to see i think that's kind of where i'm at with it because I'm always trying to make connections between our regular show and what's happening in modern comics, like, t- to me, this is interesting because we just had Mark Wade on, who was very reluctant to go back and alter anything about the character's, you know, past. And we've seen Peter always trying to alter himself in some regard, whether it's, you know, issue 100 and trying to get rid of his spider powers. But I thought that this was kind of an interesting way to explore what Mark Wade said you know, just last week that, you know, it's best not to tinker with Spider-Man's history because you never know if removing one thing makes the whole thing collapse. Uh, and in a way, I feel like we might get some of the answers to that here. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's a good point, too. Yeah. So do you want to do a review uh, score? What are, you, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, I mean, this might seem low, but again, it's kind of... Um I think it's justified given just how much is still kind of up in the air with this issue. So I'm going to give it a C. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this one a B minus. I thought it was about as good as the last one. We still have some of the things that I want to know more about. Um, but I think the package is still good and I like the, where the idea is going. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, it's, it's a C, but it's a soft C. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like. Like, oh, this book's going downhill. But, like, I, I, I really feel like there's just too much left dangling here, you know. And, and, and you know, if if the payoff is good, you know, this might be one of those things where I go back and, like, ah, I, I, I was too hard on that. You know what I mean? But but in isolation, it, it, it just leaves too much dangling for me. And, and like I said, like you said, like, it, it raises questions but also then creates questions that I don't know it should are, – are good for this comic to be creating – so early into its run. So we'll see where it goes. Yep. Excited either way. I guess in two weeks we'll be here for issue four, which I think is going to promise a bit more conflict. Yeah, I think I think that's a given. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Mark. All right, Dan. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three is done. And uh, thanks to our patrons on Patreon. Uh, that awesome review is in the books. But fear not, listeners, at home, there is more to come. And that is going to be da, 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 our review of Amazing Spider-Man number four slash Legacy 805. You did it, Mark. Let's roll that clip.
obviously we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man number four slash Legacy 805, which is Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. I guess this is the penultimate issue of the uh, opening arc. And yeah, Dan, it's, it's, you know, when we talked about issue three a couple weeks back, uh, you know, I was kind of hedging a bit in terms of kind of trying to think of a real solid opinion because there's a part of me that's wait and see on a lot of things and you know here we are one issue later and now i'm starting to get from wait and see to all right what is actually going on in this book that is a hook because it's missing a lot of hooks dan uh, you know i think there's still a lot of interesting ideas that are being put forward but you know too many checkoff guns not enough bullets firing right now if that makes sense yeah i, I agree with that a lot um i mean i think this is the first one to really seem to fire on some of them. Like we finally get stakes and conflict and maybe a villain, uh, appearing in this issue. And so for me, like these were all very welcome additions, but with only one issue left in this storyline, it really feels like it's coming way too late to be getting to a lot of these things. Maybe it'll read better as a trade, but I don't necessarily think so. I, I think this issue is like the last few, after an incredibly strong issue one, it's a very scattered issue. There's just so much going on and so little going on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the best way to put it. And, and I wish I can more elegantly point out precisely what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I think the opening segments of these comics is, is almost a case in point. I mean, so, you know, going back to issue two... We've been getting these little vignettes at the beginning of each issue. They're kind of reminiscent of what we got a lot during the slot run, which we've discussed on this show, which was kind of how each one closed with like this common thread, whether it was, you know, a goblin reveal during Superior Spider-Man or, or something with the man in red uh, in the lead up to Dead No More. Um, here we're getting these opening little splashes that, uh, again, we keep saying seem to indicate something involving Craven the Hunter, but we're not getting any physical visual proof of that. So your guess is as good as mine. And, and, and Dan, you know, I don't want to sound impatient or ungrateful, but let's, let's get on with this thing here now. Like, what, what, why do I care about this? I, I, I'm still, this is not doing it for me. Like I'm not drawn in, I'm getting impatient. I'm getting restless with it. Like let's let's get a reveal of what this where this is actually going. You don't have to show me who you're talking about, but like we need more than just random people in the jungle and random narrative that seems completely incongruous with the rest of the story. I mean, like I think we said it in the past one. This is neither narrative or tonally satisfying, and in it's also increasingly confusing as to who the narrator is in this story. We get so many of these scenes narrated by seemingly Peter. The rest of the comic seems to confirm it, that all these inner thoughts that we're getting are Peter's inner thoughts. But then we get this kind of narration over scenes where we're introduced to the villain, like Mendel Strom, that's making fun of like the robot master and his importance. And I'm confused because does that mean that Peter knows that, like, is, is Peter now an omniscient narrator? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's very unclear. And I like the idea of bringing Strom in. He's, he, he has the, the potential to be a fun villain. Um, but then again, like, I almost feel like the, the, 
the mockery and scorn in this issue is a bit overkill. You know, are, are, is this character a threat or is he not? And, and frankly, we, we got a Strom story, uh, what was that, last year, two years ago, in the Civil War II um, tie-in in this book. So not that we don't need a, a refresher on who he is, but, like, you know, I felt like that book had some fun on, on the character and kind of his, his, his lameness, but did it, did it in less discreet fashion and kind of let, let the reader kind of come to the conclusion that this guy was a lightweight trying to be a heavyweight. And here I feel like we're just getting hit over the head with it. Well, maybe this is a good segue to talk about the humor in this book because it has been working for me and it, and the things that don't work for me are pretty consistent, which is like often the references to modern technology. In this book, we get like a, a discussion of like Uber and dating apps. And I'm not saying that those things aren't um, something to kind of include in modern Spider-Man books as a place to way to kind of like date it at, in the modern era. And I guess I've kind of always wrinkled at these kind of like references, whether they be female pop stars or even all the way back in time referring to like the Beatles. Um, although the Beatles, I guess, turned out to be quite timeless. Um, right. But in this one, we get like Mendel Strom being like, oh, the ladies on dating apps don't like my big red eye. You know, and it's like, I don't know, like, am I supposed to be, like, laughing at this guy? Like, everybody is being turned into kind of like a, like, farcical take on themselves. And if I'm I'm supposed to buy the threat here, like, I don't know whether to take this guy seriously or not. And I think the best kind of D-list characters, which is something that I think thought that, like, uh, Spencer would really understand from Superior Foes, is that, like... The book takes them seriously, but we're able to laugh at them because they are kind of like keep mucking things up or, or circumstances turn against them. But they're not like um, like weirdly modern satirical figures. You know what I mean? Like they're not farces. They are yeah. the real characters and they just happen to be lame. Yeah, they're buffoons, but they're they're they they don't think they're buffoons. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, it's it's a it's a subtle distinction, but but a good distinction. And um, but then there are like some jokes I still think that land well, um, like kind of the the just the gross overkill of the Tri Sentinel uh, when Spider Man appears with him with the face paint on it. I mean, that got a laugh out of me. I got to tell you, like it was just a like it was so absurd that it worked especially given just the the over zealousness of the situation and the context of spider-man riding in on a tri-sensitive you know what i mean like it, it it was really over the top and that that's an instance where it worked but like again it's 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 over the top but i feel like in its own way the characters or the narrative aren't bringing attention to how over the top it is it just is and it's letting the reader draw its own conclu- his own conclusions and, and, and laugh or not laugh at it. Whereas then there are other jokes, like we just mentioned, where I feel like, you know, you know, it's almost like the creative team is out there with a coffee cup begging for jokes, you know, begging for laughs. Like, what? please laugh, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and and it, it's just kind of odd to, like, you know, in one breath to, to hit something so far out of the park. I mean, think back to that first issue with, you know, like Robbie in the, in the vibrating chair or, or, you know what I mean? Like those were just good visual gags that worked. 
the Tri Sentinel with the face paint riding in on, you know, like a like a conquering hero is a good visual gag. Some of this other stuff, not as much. It kind of needs a little too much uh, exposition to work as a joke and thus doesn't work. I'm trying to kind of figure out what the difference for me is between like modern references like the by Felicia joke, which I, I know some of our listeners wrote to us and said they didn't get because they weren't familiar with that. Um, but like that really worked for me. But this Uber thing that comes in later in this issue so doesn't work for me. And I, I'm trying to figure out what it is about that. Is it that like on its face, Spider-Man giving people rides as like an Uber, like it just seems so um, bizarre. Like there's a whole superhero Uber thing. Like is it that that would require a whole infrastructure that you know beggars my belief in it in the way by Felicia doesn't? Is is that it? I mean, do you agree with that? I, I don't know. I'm, I actually, you know, this might surprise some people. The Uber, the super Uber joke didn't bother me. I actually okay. kind of, I, I chuckled at that one a little bit. I, I, I think, you know, again, my issue is more with kind of repeating some of the the beats with some of these like lesser D-list characters and kind of beating us over the head with the fact that, you know, we're not supposed to take them seriously. They're all a bunch of jokers, you know, they're all a bunch of buffoons and thus, you know, we're, we're almost wasting your time and, and, and even in having them in this story. Whereas the Uber joke, I mean, it wasn't like, I didn't think it was the greatest joke of all time, but I, I, I at least got a chuck. I chuckled. I will, I will admit that I chuckled at it. I, I, I thought it was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, instead of Uber, it's super, you know? <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I think I, I chuckled guess. at that thing. It's just like, there's, there is a like amount of belief in this universe. Cause when I read the Marvel universe, I want to believe that, um, it's something that really exists, you know, like it's not, it is a thing that believes in itself. And there's a certain kind of like, like stretchability of that belief. But when you get something like even the life foundation making jokes about itself and the kind of like CD that says, you know, that's got the kind of goofy printing about the life, like, you know, the tri sentinel operation disc, you know, it's like, it's funny that there would be an operation disc for a tri sentinel, but at the same time, I'm like, it really takes me out of my belief in the world. And I think that's where I kind of draw the line for myself. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's you know, we're still in a fantasy and maybe we're, we're being a little too um, meta about it. And, and, you know, we've talked about this in, in reference to other comics involving Spider-Man. I mean, he's not Deadpool. Sometimes I don't even think Deadpool is Deadpool the way they over metaize it, but um, you know, yeah. like so that could be what's going on here. Um, but I mean, you know, putting aside the jokes and stuff, I mean, I, I really would love to talk a little bit about some of the what I find problematic, and maybe this is more from a timing standpoint, but just the general thrust of the the plot and the and the conflict of this arc. You know, again, like talking in terms of timing, so. Obviously, what we're talking about here is this, you know, Spider-Man has been split into two. There's Peter Parker, who um, has the sense of responsibility, but none of the powers and none of the smarts of um, that he has. uh, But thanks to the the, what's the name of the machine, the radioactive, the isotopic something generator. There you go. Amazing Fantasy 15. And then, um, you know, he's been split into two, and then we have Spider-Man, who um, 
is basically he's you know he's got all the powers and the strength uh, and the smarts, but none of the responsibility, and and it's kind of you know, trying to reach some compromise between the two versions of this character. And of course, like in the background, uh, we're, we're learning that the, the longer that these two characters are split apart, uh, the more at risk they run, uh, of dying, uh, for the, um, I actually laughed at this scene too. The, the, everyone kind of mourning the two, the two mice, uh, in Connor's lab. <laughs> Horatio um, one and two. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know. Again, I chuckled at, at just the kind of the melodrama of, of, the, of the mice uh, and their demise. But um, so we have this conflict and, you know, we, we, certainly Spencer is no stranger to splitting characters <laughs> into two personalities. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not that far removed from Superior Spider-Man, which kind of set the template for examining what it is to be Spider-Man without that same sense of responsibility. I, you know, say what you will about the dance slot run on Spider-Man, but I felt that that arc for the most part was done very well. And, and also not for nothing. I mean, this kind of dawned on me after you and I initially talked about this story a little bit, Dan, I mean, you know, we, we touched on these ideas and themes in clone conspiracy and dead no more as well, in terms of like with Ben Riley and, and Peter and, you know, what, you know, what happens when, someone is kind of, you know, the responsibility, the sense of responsibility and honor is kind of beaten out of them. And, and, and what, what does that, what does that do? What does that reduce Spider-Man to? So the fact that we're kind of getting a variation of the story again in the very first arc of this new creative run, it just seems like bizarre timing for me. Like, I think there are, there are just so many other stories that we haven't had a fresh take on that, we could be talking about right now instead of kind of touching on something that the previous creator, frankly, made his mark doing, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, any story where you're going to like pit power versus responsibility would be really interesting. I think for me, like I, I wrinkle less at the like timing of it. I mean, it certainly, it, I, I think I talked about this in the previous episode, like why are all these creators doing these kind of existential tales about Spider-Man. You know, it just seems to be a very modern sensibility. But my problem is more like just the kind of pacing of this whole thing. Like, to me, all these great things at the end where we get the villain and we get, you know, Spider-Man and, and Peter, like, really squaring off against each other and Peter being completely ditched by Spider-Man, that, the Uncle Ben moment where he forgets who Uncle Ben is, is a powerful moment. But to me, that should have been the end of issue three, you know, like I wanted to get here a lot sooner, you know, like knowing that there was a threat of them dying. Like, I don't know why we needed to have so many of these other tangents along the way, like start issue two off with Peter in Dr. Connor's class. Don't do the bowling stuff. If this is going to be your you know, featured thing here. Just get right to it and and get us to the stakes so that we can be invested. Because now I'm excited to see how this resolves itself. I just didn't... I, it's been so much and so little to get here. We're finally here. Like, it just... It was a long way to go to get to this point. When I feel like we kind of... It's been like tantric. You know? Like, we, yeah. we got close to this. And then it, you know, repeated the same series scenes again. You know? We've got Spider-Man and... And Peter on a rooftop discussing what's going on. Why not yeah. have this Uncle Ben moment in issue two or three 
And we could have, like, why not have, you know, Connors with the mice dead or dying in the same scene where they were introduced? You know, like, I understand that needs to be a progression, but, like, it's not, there's been no hook enough to get us to this point. And I, I found it kind of frustrating, even though I feel like this issue finally gets to where we've long wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, and in the same vein, I mean, outside of this, I guess, this catch that, you know, the longer they're split apart, the the, the more likely to die they are. Like, I'm still kind of confused about what is the conflict with the personality of these two characters in their current forms. And that, I mean, like, specifically with Spider-Man right now, um, you know, like, in one breath, he's he's irresponsible He's forgetting who Uncle Ben is. He's he's obnoxiously riding around New York City on a tricentinal. He's blowing stuff up. He's causing havoc. And yet, I don't feel like he's being treated like a menace here. You know what I mean? Like, where's where's Jonah calling in being like, you know, what are you doing? I, you know, I, I, I thought we were, you know, I thought you were over this. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's. Like, which one is it? Is is this char- is this character a mess, or is this character just kind of living his best life without worrying about being responsible for anything? And and I don't think the creators know exactly what they want with that to that end. You're right. It would be a perfect opportunity to kind of like reset the Jonah status quo, you know, back back to what it was if someone wanted to do that. But you're right. Like at the same time, as all this is happening, Spider-Man's like hanging out with NBA all stars. Are we to believe that that NBA player believes in what seems to be like terrorism of some sort? Yeah, uh, I like, mean it's it's pretty bad stuff that Spidey's been doing since he's been split apart. I mean it's not good. <laughs> you're right, Mark. It does seem very confused about what the thrust of this is, and you know there's a lot of other missed opportunities for drama too. Like we got in the first issue of this series, this great moment where Aunt May is really disappointed in Peter for cheating on, you know, his his uh, PhD. And you think, you know, we just had a moment in Dan Slott's run where Aunt May was disappointed in him for busting up Parker Industries, and that was, like, kind of immediately resolved in a way that I was kind of okay with. But to repeat that beat again here, where Aunt May is angry at him, and then, oh, no, she's over it now, and... Well, she's a little annoyed. She's going to help Peter out with some money, which she got through online gambling, which for Aunt May, of all people, to get into gambling, though her former lover, Nathan Lubeski, was killed as part of a whole gambling ring. I mean, come on, May. You got to learn a lesson from Nathan Lubeski. Don't get into online gambling. Yeah, I mean, that's... You know, going back to the jokes again, I mean, that was one that I felt didn't land for me. I mean, you know, yeah, I get the absurdity of Aunt May playing poker and making money off of it. Like, haha, the old woman's making a killing playing online poker. But like, uh, you know, it, it, there's just nothing, nothing out there to suggest that that is a feasible situation. It's just, it's just theater of the absurd and, and, yeah, it just it it was over the top in a way that didn't land for me. If that makes sense, but also that she let Peter off the hook. Like it's like a great drama setup already abandoned, and of the few setups or many setups rather we got in issue one, none of them have really been followed up on. We don't get MJ in this issue, so we still don't know 
What's going on with that? There's no boomerang. There's no yada, 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 yada. Is Kingpin reacting to Spider-Man in this? We got the setup for that in issue one. Like, what? where are all of these, you know, ding- dangling storylines? You know, oh, well, we got one, and it's Aunt May, and that storyline seems to be dissolved. I guess that's not true. We did get another one that seems to be followed up on, and that is the kind of, like, mysterious, devilish benefactor to all these lesser Spider-Man villains. If you consider Mysterio a kind of... I guess he's an A-list with a kind of D-list personality. <laughs> I want that to be on my, my dating apps or whatever. <laughs> A-list, A-list character, D-list personality. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so at the end of this book, we're getting all these stakes, right, that I think are really great. You know, we've got Horatio's dying. You know, we've got Spider-Man webbing Peter to a wall, which I thought was very funny. And... Peter even says, I got to get caught up on podcasts, so maybe he's listening to our show while oh, he's there ha- hanging there. <laughs> We've got this Mephisto like character, we assume, helping the robot master out by giving him more Tri Sentinels, I guess, to be resolved in the next issue or not. Mark, thoughts on this kind of end stinger, and then I guess thoughts on any other clues as to who this guy might be? Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Again, I mean, we we keep referring to it as this Mephisto-like character, and 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 perhaps we're we're in the ballpark there. I mean, the fact that we're not seeing this character once again kind of like, you know, begs the question: Who could it be? And if we're going to play mystery games, I bet it better be someone good. So, I mean, if we're actually talking about like the characters from the Hell Circle of of Marvel lore. I mean, outside of Mephisto, who's got any kind of connection to Spider-Man anyway that we would care about? I can't think of anybody. I mean, you know, there's characters like Blackheart and there's other, like, cosmic entities that I guess could be involved. But again, they're not really Spider-Man characters. So, I mean, why why all the subterfuge if it's someone that really has no connection to the character in any meaningful way? I, you know, it's getting us guessing, which is good. But like again, like it's kind of like these opening sequences with with the with the jungle, where it's like, okay, well, what what do we actually? I don't know. We need more than riddles. I think we 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 you know need to get a true sense besides the fact that this guy or this this character is reaching out to all these D list villains of what are what are the real stakes here? What 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 can possibly what what kind of threat does this pose to spider-man beyond mysterio and the robot master taking their shots at him because i don't think there's anything beyond that right now and and we need to start ratcheting that up i think for me that would come in the form of this character appearing in spider-man's personal life in some way or peter's life like is it going to start impacting a supporting cast character you know i think a bunch of tri-sentinels flattening new york will be interesting but if one of those Tri-Sentinels happens to step on Mary Jane, now you've got real stakes going. I'm not saying that should happen, but you know, <laughs> if, if Mary Jane keeps being written this way, or I guess not written in this way in this issue, I might be okay with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm still intrigued. I, I think a good shadowy character is always good for a Spider-Man comic. You just kind of have to be careful about how you're meeting it out. And I've been happy that this hasn't literally been in every issue, like we got with, like, say, Clone Conspiracy, where it was, you knew you had an obligatory check-in, 
you know, at the end of every issue with the man in red. I think it would have meant more to me if Robot Master had showed up in earlier issues and then only by like the third appearance of him we started getting this mysterious benefactor. But yeah, I don't have any additional guesses beyond my initial one. It still seems very demonic. And there's that great line, this character is someone who knows what it's like to live in another man's shadow. I don't know what that means in regards to Spider-Man. It's not like Spider-Man ever had a ward, you know, like who's like, right. you know, like like a Jason Todd like character, unless maybe it's like the amazing spider kid or <laughs> something like that. Right, but right. Uh, we're going to get Frogman. I, I, I don't know. But uh, it's Tim Harrison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it will be it'll be interesting to kind of revisit these quotes when the reveal ultimately happens to see if they all lined up to something. And it really was a clever, uh, you know, a reveal in some way. Like these clues were really there for us to put together. But right now I'm not really putting much together. Yeah. I, I, and I'm kind of with you. I don't really know what to make. And, and again, I don't have enough of a background in some of these hell characters. If that's indeed the direction we're going. And not only do I not have a background, but again, like, you know, as someone who's exclusive to Spider-Man, or, or not exclusive, but who heavily reads Spider-Man, you know, I, I, there's no reason for me to have a background with these characters. So if you're going to blow our mind with where this is all going, it's, uh, unless it's Mephisto messing around with stuff with Mary Jane and the marriage again, I don't quite get what the drama is here. So Right, and I'm really inclined to think it's that, because Nick Spencer seems to be so heavily operating in... Spider-Man territory and, and obscure corners of Spider-Man territory. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. You want to get to our grades, Mark? What grade are you giving this book? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a C again, similar to last time. I mean, you know, I think there were some decent jokes in here. I, I still, for the most part, like Otley's work, um, especially some of the Tri-Sentinel stuff looks really kind of big and beefy the way it should. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to start inching lower if things don't start moving more aggressively with the story here. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I mean, while I, again, like the stakes and everything you know, at, that are being introduced in this book, and I think of any of the chapters, this one has me the most anticipating the next one because it seems like the conflict is going to come to a, to a head there. I guess it kind of needs to. So I think I said B minus for my last one. I think I maybe overrated that one a little bit in hindsight. So I'm saying C plus on this one. I, I I would love to inch back towards that A plus that we gave issue one, Mark. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's clearly in this crea- in this creative team's DNA to to pull out a great story. So we'll see what the next issue brings. But you know, I, I'm I'm in for the most part. I'm enjoying this, but I I. I I, maybe my expectations were raised a little too high after that first issue. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll see where, where it goes next. Well, we've kind of been down on these past few chapters, but the question you should be asking yourself is, will things look up for this story in its final chapter, at least in our eyes? But let's not wait any longer, Mark. Let's get to it. The review of Amazing Spider-Man number five, Legacy 805. No, it's 806. What's new?
are here talking Amazing Spider-Man number 5, a.k.a. Legacy numbering 806. We are at the end point of the Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley uh, first arc. I almost said the first uh, their first run, which is not technically correct, but, you know... It's it's been a long run, Dan. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of is in this era of comics because Humberto Ramos is coming back for a few issues. It's like as be- um, as much of a run as anyone gets these days. Five issues. There you go. You get five, and then you're out. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of a fear of that, though. I I think in regards to the uh, the anti-Mormon imagery that Otley had stuffed into the uh, the second issue of this book. I did not follow this. What, what, what What's this, what's the story, Dan? Apparently there's this book, uh, CES, that's like kind of uh, about like someone who left the Mormon faith and wrote this whole book about leaving Mormonism. It's kind of a very popular anti-Mormon book. And in issue three, rather, not issue two, there was that image of Spider-Man with all those stickers on him for various endorsements. And Ryan Otley recently left Mormonism, so he put CES on on Spider-Man. And I thought it was a reference to, like, consumer electronics show or something like that but it turned out to be this very anti-popular anti-mormon thing so they made him remove it for all reprintings of the book but that's the kind of thing that got like you know a number of other artists fired from various books and i don't think it's going to happen for otley because it's more innocuous and he immediately kind of took it away but uh yeah anyway that was a whole piece of drama wow that that there you go, Amazing Spider-Man, folks. Anyway, uh, Dan, we have you know through these first five issues. I mean, this this arc obviously started out with a big bang, and it was an issue we loved very much. But I feel like each subsequent issue, we've been kind of a little more lukewarm to. I mean, I think on a general note, I felt that this finished stronger than it had been. But I think the way this arc ended did kind of expose a couple of issues with the storytelling um at least in terms of how the narrative it came up came about i mean what, what do you think yeah i think i agree with that for the most part i mean i think this is a pretty decent first arc on a book i'm not sure that i would have made it if i was an editor i might have said like why don't you hold on to this for a little bit because it does seem like it's very different than what we got in issue one but I thought as a story, especially with how it wraps up, it's pretty decent, um, which I think is what we were kind of saying before. And to me, this issue itself was the most promising follow-up to issue one that we've gotten yet. But again, like you said, this kind of reveals some of the storytelling problems, which is like I feel like a lot of the stuff that we got in this issue probably should have even been all the way back in issue two. It's 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 weird to say this, but I feel like in a lot of ways this whole story kind of unfurled both too slowly and too quickly. Like some things that should have been evolved a bit more were not, and then some things that I feel were you know too decompressed uh, became problematic. I mean, you know, the general crust of the story. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it in the fact that, like, you know, we got both an exploration of, I mean, we've, we've done this before in terms of what is Spider-Man without Peter Parker. But I feel kind of on the flip side of this, we also got to play around with who's Peter Parker without Spider-Man, which we have not. I don't feel we've gotten that in a while. So that that's good to kind of get Nick Spencer's imprint on that idea. But I mean, just as a whole, I mean, like, you know, we kind of go back about all like the the 
Craven teasers and and you know just some of the stuff that was introduced in issue one and then kind of felt like it got dropped until just this issue again and and you know would like to find a little more consistency with how just how the stories are told going forward in terms of how it's paced right uh, yeah totally and I feel like part of that is kind of how the story was told in a storytelling sense we've got like in previous issues these big montage sequences if you want to call them that. Uh, where, you know, we kind of got a bit of Peter's life when he was Spider-Man-less in a bunch of images. And to me, like, that should have been more of the story, that kind of decompression. You know, I wanted to see more of that and less of the kind of, like, weird hijinks that feel really like they don't belong in this book. And I can list them on my fingers. Like, let's start off in this book with, like, Mendel Strom. Did this guy need to be in this story? He really is this there to kind of serve as as fodder for you know the man in who do we, what are we going to refer to this villain as the man in the trench <laughs> the man in the trench coat I mean you know the devilish sidekick I don't know but he really is I mean he is he is literally fodder you know what I mean like <laughs> there is no no other purpose again I mean this was a character that was introduced in issue one of this arc so it's kind of good to bring it back to that, but I don't know if Mendelstrom needed to be the conduit for that. I mean, maybe there, there could have been other ways, I think, you know, and, and we'll, we'll just have to kind of leave that for wonder for now. Yeah, I mean, just on another note, and I don't want to go deep into it, but like, you know, Black Ant and Taskmaster, you know, we get them returning here for like three pages of them, and it, that's just a lot of time to spend on things that aren't like the main kind of emotional and thematic crux of the storyline. Like I would have loved to use those pages and pages past that we spent on Craven to flesh out this Mary Jane thing a bit more. And yes, we'll talk about it. The book opens on that scene between Peter and Mary Jane, finally kind of hashing out what it was that brought them back together, but it's only a page of it. And I feel like these montages and all this other stuff could have been fleshed out a bit more if we just didn't waste time on all that other stuff that like often was repetitive. We even get like a full story recap within the pages of this book that I just don't think is necessary uh, to the storytelling. And, you know, I, it really just reads like it's been, you know, decompressed for trade unnecessarily. Definitely. And I mean, why don't, why don't we dive right into the Mary Jane stuff? Just because, I mean, I still think when years from now, when we look back on this first arc, that is going to be the the story element that most people are going to kind of glom onto is the thing they remember most from it. And, you know, we've been kind of, I think you and I both have been kind of struggling with how Mary Jane has been used since that first issue. And even, I mean, even in the first issue, as, as, as I think sincere as the sentiment of kind of bringing Peter back in that direction and what's been missing from my life, you know, there was part of it where we were kind of like, yeah, but this still feels a little undercooked in terms of how we got to, to this conclusion. And I, I, I think the same can be said here. I, I, I liked the exchange between the two characters. I like the idea that Peter's like monologue is this is something I should have done in the first place. Because it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, why why introduce this relationship again if you're not going to use it? <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same right. time, at the same time, the actual result of the conversation, it just still kind of feels undercooked. You know, like like there there needs to be a little more something there that's not there yet. 
It just feels like this relationship just happened by editorial or writer edict. Like there's no there's been no progression to this. You know, she says the reason I'm back with you is because like I eventually realized I kept returning to you. You know, it finally clicked. And it's like, well, I could think of maybe like two instances where they got, you know, like close together again. There was like Spider Island and then that story at the end of Dan Slott's run, you know, the, with the Red Goblin. And in both chances, the first one, she never acted on it. And in the second one, she did act on it and then like kicked him out of his apartment in a very rude way. And I just – I don't know that I buy that that much change has happened. And so if you're going to do it, you got to sell me on it. And this scene reminds me – it's nice to see them kind of walking on the New York High Line. You know, just to kind of see New York as a character. And it reminds me of the kind of fateful walk through Central Park from Amazing Spider-Man 259. But it, like, makes me, you know, long for a whole issue where it's just the two of them walking and talking about their relationship. That feels like an impossibility in today's comics. But I would say even, like, JMS issues like that, where it's a whole issue of the conversation between Aunt May and... And Peter about his identity, and I don't see why we couldn't have cut down other issues here and given us an issue largely filled with this conversation. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that, and you know, it's just funny you mentioning like those other instances, and uh, you know, not to relitigate Spider-Man history here, but like it really does, you know, kind of going back. I feel like Spider Island was probably the most appropriate time to dive back into this, and we never got it. Um, this, like you said, it, it, it feels more forced in terms of, you know, I want to, you know, here's a new writer. This is something he wants to explore. Um, he, you know, Nick Spencer has said as much on our show and in other interviews, but it, it, it still needs to be sold a bit more. Um, and this is not me trying to poo poo the relationship, but like people have been pining, you know, there are other people have been pining for this for so long and, and. You know, the word I keep coming back to is just undercooked. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what we got to be doing a little bit more with this at this point. What, what I don't understand is, you know, we're, we're on a two every two weeks. We're getting a new comic just about. I think there was like three weeks between this issue and the previous one. You know, if we're going to be getting a book that often, we used to be on a monthly Spider-Man fix and we would get more slow paced issues than this. So like. If you're going to do it every two weeks, you might as well take advantage of that and, like, you can get into more character-oriented issues because there's another action-packed one coming just two weeks from now, you know? Like, I I don't know. You can be a little more decompressed, and I'm not necessarily sure that I want that decompression, but I think you can spend an issue on something very character-oriented and not worry about losing people because there's another one coming right around the corner Whereas before, it's like if I didn't get Spider-Man action this month, I might have to wait a whole other month to get it. Right. Um, so, like, if you're going to have this format, you might as well play with it a bit. Now, the other character relationship dynamic, if you will, that we we touch back upon that we really haven't seen much of since the first issue was um, Peter and Randy Robertson's new roommate, uh, Fred Myers, aka Boomerang. And again, like, here's stuff that was like. Legitimately, I thought this was some of the funniest stuff of the of the whole arc, and yet it kind of like I feel like it's almost like a lost opportunity because this was so funny. Why couldn't we have gotten more of this both in this issue and in other issues? Right, right. He totally should have been bowling with them, like abs and 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 getting strikes or whatever it is, you know, because of his 
you know, acumen with rolling things or throwing things or whatever. You know, like I think there was plenty of opportunity to to keep him an active player in the story instead of just background. Yeah, and like you know, so you know, Peter kind of baits Boomerang into stealing the um, the the particle was an accelerator or whatever the heck the the genome accelerome. Right, the isotope genome accelerator. Right, sorry. Um, you know, we know certainly that Spencer, when he was with Steve Lieber, was great at doing these kind of goofy heists a la Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And, and you know, we could have gotten maybe a fun little page or two spread here of how did Boomerang get this equipment? I mean, we we and we we see... You know, Spider-Man-less Peter kind of ripping him off at the end in a in a kind of silly moment. But like, where there was hijinks that could have ensued with this that I feel we didn't get. Yeah, I mean, I, I love everything about the setup for this. I think it's hysterical uh, with them really baiting him in the kitchen. But yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen that. And you know, sometimes you don't have to see everything. Comics are about like what you imagine. But like I know that Spencer has done this before, so like show me, do a shout out to Superior Foes and give me those full page diagram layouts of the heist. Fun to see Boomerang back again. Certainly not going to bash it in any way because I love seeing Fred Myers. I just feel like this whole book and this whole first arc has been, oh, I really like this, but I want more of this and less of that. And maybe it'll take a little while for Spencer to get into the groove of like where his focus should be really attuned. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. Um, so, you know, the actual main plot of this book was obviously Peter trying to um, find a way to, I guess, rebond himself with his, his Peterless Spider-Man counterpart. And again, this there was some good stuff here. Um, I, I, I think Spider-Man, free of Peter's responsibility and guilt, is very funny. Yeah, I I'd read that character for a sustained run. Like if that was the main idea behind Spencer's entire run, like that would be a really interesting dynamic. I mean, it's clearly not, but like uh it's been fun to see that Spider-Man who's just such an I don't even want to say. <laughs> it, that's been fun for me at least. Why do you keep mentioning this delicious rice? <laughs> <laughs> I like the turning off the Spider-Sense bit where Peter's incredulous. You could turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when, what, what's this comeback? Yeah, if you don't mind, like the the horrible headaches or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I like everything about that character, and I like everything about the beats that occur re- regarding them in this, where you know Peter kind of has a backup plan all along, but um, he's allowed a moment to sacrifice himself for Spider Man, which is. Wonderful because it, it's a straight copy of George Stacy's death because he dives and he shouts, look out, in the same way that George Stacy did when he dove at the child. There's no way that was an accident. And uh, I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The, these books so far have had other little – I know you've been kind of pointing them out on Twitter, Dan, like other little touches that um, – I mean, even the covers and whatnot. You know, it's 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 – you definitely get the sense that Spencer and Otley are – are reaching back into um, the annals of history here, which is fun. I mean, you know, I mean, not, I mean, Dan Slott obviously was kind of the king of continuity, but I, I like these other little more subtle references. Yeah, they're not main parts of the story. They're there for you to notice if you happen to notice them. Yeah, and and you know, I I, I do like 
even though we kind of are going through this whole story about demonstrating how much these two characters are lacking without their other half, so to speak. But I do like that Peter, as Peter, without any powers, does save the day with kind of a lucky shot, but it worked. You know what I mean? Like, it, it still shows that there's something inherent in the character, and I liked I liked that that was kind of the resolution. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes right after Peter tries to teach Spider-Man about power and responsibility. And I love this moment because <laughs> you would expect the kind of cliche thing where it's like, oh, it does click in with him. And he decides to, like, turn a new leaf and, and rebind with Peter. But he just, like, flat out ignores him. Yeah. Uh, in, in the same way, it, it's like the moment where he ignores the burglar distilled into a character. Right. Uh, and that's what I like about it so much. Yeah. And Peter's attitude of, well, it was worth a shot, you know? <laughs> like- <laughs> Also, another, you know, kind of on the heels of when they do get rebonded, legitimate laugh out loud moment for me was was Spider-Man saying, to me, my robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's some really clever, funny stuff in these issues, which kind of makes up, I think, for some of the areas where it's lacking in terms of its structure or its flow. I mean, like, it, it, there's this, there's clearly a lot of promise in what's unfurling here it's just you know it just needs to kind of hit its rhythm and it hasn't yet yeah um, in terms of genius moments that are my favorite i like when they rebond the whole rebonding sequence is great but when they rebond and we get both sides of them acknowledging the existence of the other where like peter's like oh i i feel this sudden urge to tell jokes again and then the the spider-man side of him is like oh i suddenly feel crippling guilt coming back i really like that but um one of the moments i wanted to point out was um right before they remerge spider-man is like suggesting to peter to be less of a mope and to kind of have fun being spider-man for once yes and to me to me i wondered if um that was kind of Spencer's, and I don't want to, you know, put words in his mouth, but, and maybe we'll ask him in an upcoming episode, but uh, to me that felt like a, like the writer's calling card, like he's saying, like, this is what my take on the book is going to be, it's like Spider-Man, but it's having a little bit more fun than we normally would, I mean, at least I feel that way about this arc, it just seems like everything's a little more fun for whatever that um, means to you. And to to me, that seemed like, oh, maybe, like, this is the point he's trying to make by doing this whole story is that, like, you know, like, it's all about power and responsibility, but let's have a little fun, too, while we're at it. That's actually a very kind of universal criticism of Spider-Man, I find, and, like, across other media is I I think I've, like, even, like, listened or read to some movie reviews that have talked about this idea that, like, you know, for a character that can do amazing things – who's supposed to supposed to be kind of this youth, youthful character. You don't see him having a lot of fun with his powers. Um, and, and you know, maybe Spencer is trying to kind of capture onto that in terms of, like, you know, like, at the end of the day, this character should still be fun. And, and I feel like the fun element has been... It, it's A lot of creators just don't know how to how to do that. <laughs> that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they get caught up in the guilt or the responsibility or, but, but the fun element gets, gets kind of swallowed up by the, the other more kind of ominous themes. Right. And it's why like you and I have discussed in the past, it's like why I kind of wrinkle at like Craven's last hunt being the best Spider-Man story, because I just don't find any fun in that story. It's so dark and, 
dreary and miserable. Right. You know, uh, like it, it just doesn't read like a Spider-Man book to me. And I think the people that can like weave that line are, are the best Spider-Man writers where you can have the, you know, the pathos and the fun. Like that's a really hard balance to, to, to hit. And it's actually why I really liked, and I'll talk about this in a future episode, why I really like the new Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game is it weaves that line better than most Spider-Man stories I've seen in recent. And um, so, like, to me, I'm I'm hopeful that Spencer is kind of captured onto that and that this is his way of saying it in in the pages of this comic. Because I I tend to think that he's kind of a meta-creator. He likes to kind of weave themes pretty broadly inside of his comics. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about the, the, the trench coat villain in his appearance here? Why not? I mean, I think, I think it's pointing in a, in a, in a particular direction. Would you say? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to like jump to one conclusion based on another conclusion, but you know, considering that we had these teasers over the first few issues that were clearly suggesting Craven, and yet we weren't getting the it was it, it, we seemed to be getting like a slow reveal, like it was going to be a curveball, and then you know we find out in this issue it's Craven. You know, maybe maybe the, the hallmark of the Nick Spencer Ryan Otley run is going to be a spade is just a spade, a cigar is just a cigar. I mean, you know, this trench coat villain is clearly. A henchman of Mephisto. He's connected to the underworld in some way, and maybe that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Maybe there's no. I mean, I I I kind of want to give a little more benefit of the doubt that there's more of a twist to the character, but like, I don't think there's any question that this is this is a a hellish character. You know, I mean, like we're talking about deals with the devil here. I mean, it's you know he's got control of like these you know creatures of damnation that are destroying Mendelstrom. I mean, like it's it's. It's pretty clear that this is this is a character that is linked to Mephisto, and and you know when you have Mephisto connected in the same story where Peter and MJ are getting back together, you got to just think something is awry because of this, you know, the deal the deal being broken, you know, like like and and I feel like the whole arc of this character in this storyline was to kind of demonstrate like a deal was, you know, Mendelstrom was trying to renege on his deal and got, got destroyed for it. And I guess that's what's awaiting Peter and MJ because they're reneging on their deal with Mephisto back in one more day. That's just my overall conclusion of it. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm going to stand behind my absolutely crazy theory about it being the, the marriage personified. But can I throw out another equally crazy theory? Dan, the floor is yours. <laughs> this issue in particular got me thinking about it in the way that he uses his, like, centipede arms or whatever you want to call them. D- do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of tentacle-like. Would you agree? I do. Um, and this character has previously said that he has stood in Spider-Man's shadow and that he knows... Spider-Man better than he knows himself. Do you see where I'm going with this? So you think this is like the corpse of Doc Ock? It's it's it, it could be possible. I just thought that the imagery seemed very octopus-like in the way that he destroys Strom in this issue, which uh, God rest his soul, um, or whatever's left of it. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. I don't know if that's my actual guess, but it it, it hit me while reading this that like, oh okay. Like, there's been a couple clues that could lead me that way. And that gets to, like, the even bigger kind of clue or whatever you want to call it that we get in this, which is everybody saying, guess my name, guess my name, 
guess my name. Now, I don't know if that's a clue, but, like, I already thought, like, maybe this is Spencer just, like, toying with us. Because essentially all Spider-Man mysteries are what you and I do inevitably, which is just guess names. Right. You know, wildly. Like, is he toying with us about the very nature of what Spider-Man mysteries are? Just name-guessing games? Right. Yeah. No, it's a good It's a good idea. And I, I like that theory with Otto. Although the character outside of, like you said, the, the tentacles or the centipede arms or whatever – doesn't talk like Otto in any way. You know what I mean? Like it's I, – yeah. I, I think it talks more like Peter, which makes me actually kind of buy your first bonkers feeling uh, <laughs> theory more, you know? so Yeah, I don't really want to stand behind either of these, but they're out there now. I, and I have fun speculating, but you're right. It does clearly seem just like a spade is a spade. It's a devilish character. Although I feel like if it was Mephisto, we would be getting more Mephisto-like imagery. Like, there's nothing about this character that says Mephisto, red devil to me. Like, uh, unless something happened to Mephisto at the end of Damnation that I haven't read yet. Yeah, and I certainly haven't read it, so. Well, the other, of course, as I mentioned earlier, the other big mystery revealed was we, we know that Kraven is kind of lining up as the next villain. He looks good, but, I mean, did we really need all these pages of build-up? No. <laughs> Very emphatic, then. I, I, I'm not, like, I love Craven, but, like, I'm not, like, thrilled. I'm not like, oh, man, I got to pick up the next arc to read what's going to happen with Craven in a way that I wouldn't be without, like, a solicit or something like that. You, you know what I mean? Like, show me Craven on the cover, and I'll go pick it up. But, like, this is not tied to the main story in any way. So not in the way that, like, the lizard showing up at the end of issue one was, where I'm like, what an interesting new wrinkle. I have to read the next book and figure out how this works. You know, like, Craven, I'm like, oh, so Craven exists? I, I knew that. Right. Are we going to get the immortal Craven that could only die by Spider-Man's hand? I don't know, but we'll see. Right, right. No, like, again, it kind of speaks to what we were saying in the very, very beginning, which was that this really does seem to be a story that wanted to be five issues, was probably more honestly three issues, although it could have been five if maybe we we played around with some of the pacing a little bit. I mean, it's just, like you said, it was just uneven, and, and the the Craven reveal is probably, to me, the most underwhelming part of all, because it was so obvious. So, what was the point of that? You know, it's just... And like you said, it's not like Craven has been MIA for 20 years or something. You know, it wasn't like when we had, uh, you know, the, the, the return of Craven during Brand New Day, or at the end of the gauntlet. Um, I mean, you know, like... Craven's been around. I mean, Craven's Craven hung out in Scarlet Spider, and wasn't he even with Miles in the Six One Six? I'm trying to remember. I don't know about that. He's certainly been in Squirrel Girl a lot, but I don't even know if that's necessarily in the same universe as right. the regular Marvel universe. Um, in the way that it plays the continuity. I mean, moral of the story: if you're going to do like the old guess my name spider-man kind of mystery thing i mean you know i think you gotta you can't be that on the nose about it right or maybe just one at a time right right that's fair too anything else you want to talk about for this issue not really i mean i think the art remains pretty stellar I love seeing Ryan Notley draw Peter's face, of all things. Yep. He just has very expressive characters 
And I, I love seeing that. Yeah, and all the Tricentinal stuff looked awesome and kind of indulgent in a great way. You know, like it's it's I feel like it's a good match. You you had said that from the very beginning that you feel he'd be a good match on this book and I, I agree. Yeah, it's living up to all the promises, I think. So, Mark, let's give it a grade. How about you? Well, I mean, I'm going to knock this up from the last few issues and give this a B minus. How about you? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. B minus B, something like that. Let's just say B minus until we can be simpatico. There we go. About this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think a decent first arc. I don't think it lives up to the first issue. But what could, right. you know, like, you know, that's that's the one you got to come out swinging on. You know, I'll miss Otley over the next few issues, but maybe, you know, Ramos will kind of, you know, help Spencer settle into the rhythm of this kind of twice monthly Spider-Man world. Yeah, looking and looking forward to it. Like you said, I mean, Ramos, Ramos is a classic. I think he I mean, he, even though he's always kind of been connected to Dan Slott, I think he's probably good for a lot of new, newer writers on the character uh, kind of guiding them through it. So um, it should be fun for the next few issues. Dan, you, you promised me you would be getting this numbering thing down pat. And yet here we are and you're still confusing it. I know, I know. I'll, you know, I'll never get it right, Mark. I just have to kind of, re- you know, resign myself to that. Well, you know, again, if you all want to hear me making fun of Dan and his numbering, you can be a Patreon subscriber. Uh, in the meantime, thanks all of you for joining us in this review roundup episode of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, Dan, what's, what's coming down in the pipeline? Well, after many negotiations with Marvel Games, I'm actually going to be sitting down with Spider-Man voice actor from Marvel's Spider-Man on the PS4, Yuri Lowenthal. I'm so excited to announce this, especially considering, Mark, you and I have had Paul Souls and Christopher Daniel Barnes on the show. I think we're going to go three for three on the awesome Spider-Man voice actors front. Yeah, Dan, I just, you know, pretty soon I feel like my voice is just going to be displaced on the show with all of these awesome voice actors. All you have to do is get a uh, PlayStation 4, Mark, and you could join me on these things. <laughs> well, you could talk to my wife, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I will because ah. I, know, I know the trap there. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week where we already got a special review of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue number eight and a roundup review of all of October's B-title books. Why wait to get caught up in a few months? Remember, just for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Steve Lieber. Awesome, Mark. And while you're checking things out, you should check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast, our sister podcast, because someone had to become our sister at some point. Okay. And they're they're talking about everybody's favorite beachy character. It's Sandman as he kind of oscillates back and forth from villain to hero to Avenger to whatever. It's Sandman. Now he's a cosmic entity of some kind. Listen in. You'll hear some cool about some cool Sandman stories. And if you want to continue the conversation about Sandman and, you know, really other things, because there's only so much to say about our Sandy Man character, yeah. go on our Sp- Amazing Spider Slack community. You know, it's an awesome place for you to join up and talk to other people that love Spider-Man as much as you do. And I know you love Spider-Man because you're listening to this very specific show, 
about Spider-Man. It's a niche audience, Dan, but but it's a great niche. <laughs> the best niche. Uh, Mark, speaking of niche audiences, where can we find you online this week? Yes, Dan. Well, when I'm not like suffering a crushing blow to my soul, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog or you can find me on ChasingAmazingBlog.com or uh, you can get my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. What about you? Well, Mark, I'm, I'm a little worried for you now. Is there something you want to talk about? Well, no, it's just that Twitter is horrible, but I know I need to be on it. But it's horrible, Dan. <laughs> you know, I agree with you more and more every day. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter as well at, at SupSpiderTalk. I actually just got to go to Sony Pictures Studios on a VIP tour. And they took me into the props room and I got to mess around with all kinds of Spider-Man props. From the Raimi movies, from the Web movies, and even from Spider-Man Homecoming. And I put up all these pictures of it, and uh, people have been really liking it. So go check it out on my uh, Twitter feed. I'm always doing exciting Spider-Man-related things. But speaking of excitement, Mark, the most exciting thing is that we're done with the show. We're closing it out. No, no, it's always sad to go. But... You know, we want to leave everybody with a special message. Mark, what is that message? And that message is to stay away from Twitter. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That message is with great podcasts must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. 